Hi, welcome to the Mastermind Project podcast. My name is Brian McRae. I'm the founder of the Mastermind Project. And this podcast is intended to help you grow as a leader, to grow in productivity, and also to grow in relationships. Those are the three topics that we will always talk about here at the Mastermind Project. Chances are you're a small business owner or maybe a commissioned sales professional and you're looking to grow. And we know that growth doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. So once a month, we host an event designed to help givers grow. And so that's what we're here for. And this podcast is taken from a general session of a portion of our live event, uh, which we've now gone to virtual uh, as of 2020. So if you're comfortable, please join us. Feel free to join us. And you can go to www.brianckmcrae.com. And you can register for our next event, which is the third Thursday of the month. So sit back and enjoy the shared learning experience here of the Mastermind Project. I could keep going on and on about Seth and we've been uh, wrangling, but he's flown in here as a personal friend. Um, thank you for scheduling this thing. I'm so grateful. But guys, if you could do me a favor, it's kind of a cold day here in St. Louis. If you could do me a favor and give Seth a very, very warm Mastermind St. Louis welcome. I'd appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. I'm super pumped to be here. There's a little bit of feedback in the mic, and so I just want to make sure you guys can tolerate it because we'll change mics and go handheld. Are we good? Good, good enough? Good enough? Okay. So first thing we're going to do on a Wednesday morning is we're going to start with a pop quiz. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to give you the choices first because otherwise you'll pick the first answer and you'll feel bad when I tell you the second answer. So um, when you make a decision to undertake something and you've, you've set a goal, a vision, an appointment, and then almost immediately you start to run into opposition, challenges towards that goal, are you more likely, these are the two questions, to perceive that challenge and those oppositions as a sign from the universe or God that you are on the wrong track and you need to reevaluate? Or are you more likely to say, no, there's something good waiting down that road and I need to go further towards that. So are you more likely to read those challenges as, all right, this is a sign, I'm supposed to stop and readdress. Or are you more likely to perceive those challenges? No, this is exactly what I need to be going after. So if you're more of the, hey, this might be a sign I need to reevaluate, raise your hand. Ooh. If you're thinking, all right, there's something good waiting down this road, I'm going after it, raise your hand. I love entrepreneurs. Give yourself a hand this morning. So I was in this exact situation yesterday morning about coming to this event. And so I knew that I had a busy week and Brian described to you a bit about what my travel plans were. And I don't try to do that, I'm not bragging. I, I have a family at home. I've been in seasons of my life where I've traveled a lot and right now I don't travel much. When I do, I just try to bang it out and I, and I can. And so uh, the way that I often will start a big week is, you know, I want to take some time and read and have that morning quiet time with coffee and then I want to work out. And so I go to my office and in my office, I actually have a little gym, not because I put it there, but because an entrepreneurial friend of mine who uh, has a SaaS company, a software company, he's doing really great work. He woke up one year and said, you know, every year I've said, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. I've joined every gym in this community and I'm still not in good shape. And he just got frustrated with himself. And so he said to his assistant, he said, call two personal trainers, get an interview set up, 
I'm going to hire somebody. And what he ended up doing was hiring a personal trainer to come into the office exactly the time that he would be coming through after dropping off his kids going to his office. So he literally can't get to his office without going past a group of people working out. And then we started to add machines. And so a couple weeks ago, I was gone and they added a new machine and it's kind of like it's got ropes. It's like you're doing alpine skiing. You pull it down real hard. It's got a fan. And I, I, I didn't see the machine, but I heard about it. it they called it the devil machine. <laughs> and so I wanted to start this week off right with a little exercise. So I'm going at it on the devil machine. And all of a sudden I feel uh, in my lower back. And this has happened to me before. I thought, I'm okay, it wasn't that bad, I'll get through it. And so throughout the day, I'm kind of, you may notice, I'm not quite shoulders back, chin high. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit tender up here. But yesterday morning, when I woke up, I literally couldn't get out of bed. I slithered on my belly off the bed. I was about an hour from the airport, and I had to decide what I was gonna do next, because I wasn't sure I could make it to the shower, I wasn't sure I could get dressed, wasn't sure I could make it to the car, or to the shuttle. I mean, I had this plan in my head of everything that was gonna happen, but I wasn't sure I could do it and I had to make that choice. All right, am I being stupid and arrogant to think I can do this or with prayer and Advil and a massage, am I gonna be able to <laughs> get through it? So I'm really grateful that I made the choice to, to persevere. It got a little better. I was in the air, I had Wi-Fi, and I was able to ask my assistant to line up a massage and I got here and it worked on my back and so I'm, I'm doing a little bit better, but it was interesting I honestly didn't know which way I was gonna go. And so I asked Brian, I said, you know, I said, maybe you could bring a podium or a stool just in case, because I'm trying to give him a heads up. This could go very badly. You know, you may have to be wheelchairing me into this thing. And then I'm on the airline and I'm, I'm reading an email from a guy who talks about public speaking. And the very headline of the email is, stools are the worst. <laughs> I thought, I can't do that. So here we are. Um, but I, it's a privilege for me to be here with you and I wanna share about my journey to gratitude. And when I leave this afternoon, I also wanna leave you with a framework for leading with gratitude. And so I wanna share a little bit about how it started for me. So I grew up in a commune in the woods of Southern Oregon. This is a true story. In fact, every story I tell you today will be true. So where I grew up, it looked a lot like that. So I grew up in a commune, and for most of my life, I didn't really feel comfortable talking about it. So if you grew up in the 60s, you kind of have an awareness of what a commune is, or really was, there's, there's still a few out there. It's a place where people lived together. They shared their resources, they did the work together. But that's not to say that everybody was equal inside the commune. In fact, what I learned after leaving the commune was that cults have this way that they do something that's called jangling, where one moment you may be elevated amongst your peers and the next moment randomly you're pulled down. And the purpose of that is to create instability so you never quite know where you stand. You see, my family was kind of second class and the rules for advancement were always changing so that we never really knew where we stood. And I can remember one time this thing likes to go crazy. I can remember one time as a teenager, I got into a heated argument with a friend and I ended up an agenda topic for all of the 
adults inside the commune. And uh, being somewhat resourceful, which is code for sneaky, I snuck up to this office where I could overlook this meeting that they were having. And in the meeting, I heard them describing me as a troublemaker, as a button pusher. Now, I'm not denying that those things might have been true at that time. <laughs> but I remember really burning with, with anger because I felt like those judgments that had been pronounced about my character, they weren't being shared to help me get better or out of love. They were being shared to hold me in my place and to keep me where I belonged. And it was that moment and it was other moments like that that caused me to make a promise to myself which is give me time and give me a fair shot. And I'm gonna prove that I can be successful. You see, I think for many of us, if we're honest, we're, we're driven by our dysfunction until we deal with it. And over time, what you find is that it's hard to have good results with dirty fuel. And many of us can be driven by this dirty fuel, by things that motivate us from an unhealthy place. And so my parents left the commune, I graduated high school, and I quickly started making decisions that would make a life planner absolutely lose their mind. I married my high school sweetheart when I was just a teenager. I decided I was gonna skip college altogether. I joined a circus. No, I really didn't. I didn't. <laughs> but about now, you believe in anything. But I did join a family business, which is a lot like a circus. Fewer animals, more activity. And um, inside of this business, I had a chance to, um, to grow. I had a father who was a very intentional mentor. And we went from the commune to this kind of this wild west of being entrepreneurs and building our own life and building our own business. And we were amongst the first people to build cellular networks back when people were like, what's that bag phone thing you got there, right? We were doing cellular site construction back in the day and, and our business began to grow and I got pulled into the office and I learned how to be an estimator and I learned that I actually like to sell and talk with people. And, Pretty soon we started to get interest in buying our company. And so at uh, 27 years old, I flew to Philadelphia with our attorney and with my dad. And we met in the prestigious offices of the acquiring company's law firm. And we sold our business to a public company. And I was an owner in that business. And so that meant I flew home worth more money than I ever thought I'd see. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever felt the success of chasing something and then winning? How long did that feeling last? What happened to you next? You see, for me, life got pretty good pretty quick. All of a sudden, I was able to buy, build a home in, in the country club area and bought that car I'd always wanted. But I began to notice that something was unsettled inside of me. All the markers 
of success were there, but I was, I was deeply unsettled because I had no plan. And so many of us are like this proverbial dog. We are chasing that car so hard, so fast, but we actually have never taken the time to think about what will happen if we actually sink our teeth into that tire or grab a hold of that bumper. We are wired to pursue. And I remember reading an article from a gentleman in the, in the, in the Silicon Valley who had sold his company for a lot of money. And the, the topic in the article was sudden wealth syndrome. And it talked about the emotional transition that happens when something big happens where you, you, you get a payout of, of a size that is bigger than you were expecting and what that does emotionally. And I just remember one solitary quote from that article. It said, having more money just allowed me to make bigger mistakes. And when I read that, it was like I got slapped across the face because I was living those mistakes. I was feeling the thump, thump, thump of sunk my teeth into that tire without a plan. See, I fancied myself an investor. Why not? Commune, sell a business. Of course you're an investor. And so I invested in a services company in California and a data center business in Florida and a cellular license in the very populous state of Montana. <laughs> and I opened up restaurants, multiple restaurants throughout Oregon, all basically within a few years. And all those investments had one thing in common. I lost every single penny in every single one of them. But worse than that, I also developed a bit of a taste for life in the fast lane. So I had a little bit more money, I had more freedom, I had more opportunity to make choices that would compromise my values and actually erode my character. You know, many people can pass the test of adversity, but a better test of our character is how we handle success. Losing the money, that was painful. I remember shedding a tear. But losing my self-respect, that hurt much worse. I was humbled. I was disappointed, I was frustrated, but perhaps that newfound sense of humility allowed me to finally ask better questions. Questions like, what's really motivating me? Why am I pushing so hard? And how had I screwed things up so quickly and so badly? And my life literally changed forever when I got a clear answer to that honest question I was asking. I understood, finally, what my problem was. I had not been grateful. I was many things. I was very driven. I was sharp. I was ambitious. But I wasn't grateful. You see, gratitude 
is acknowledging a gift that's been received. See, I've found that there's really two major reasons why driven people don't experience a sense of satisfaction. We chase a lot. We go, go, go. We set a goal, we get to that goal, and before we even achieve that goal, we're off to the next thing. We know it's true. I see there's two reasons for that. First is, we are fundamentally so forward-focused on that next thing, on that next opportunity, on that next challenge, on that next thing to fix or improve, that we don't often stop to value and appreciate what we already have or where we've come from. And why would you protect what you don't value? The second reason that I believe that driven people struggle to feel a sense of satisfaction is because we've bought into this cultural myth that satisfaction can be found and obtained through achievement. But my experience has taught me that satisfaction does not live on the other side of achievement. Satisfaction lives on the other side of gratitude. You see, we all want essentially the same things. We want a sense of fulfillment, of contentment, even peace. But for many entrepreneur types, peace is this mythical place we've heard about. Maybe we get to visit it once in a while, but we never actually get to live there. See, what I found about my natural temperament and personality as an entrepreneur is I'm basically triple A. Almost always anxious. And I've learned to use gratitude as a powerful weapon to fight those negative emotions that flood over me regularly. I've learned that gratitude can become a filter and you can actually filter those feelings that are coming over you with gratitude and gratitude will change the way you experience those feelings. Gratitude will have a profound difference in your life when you find it. And I call this reorientation process that I go through a gratitude adjustment. Now I wanna share how this works for me. You may never take a shower the same way again. I find that often I use the time in the shower to go through a gratitude adjustment. And I'm gonna share at some level of depth with you that I, I might not normally share with others. Brian said that that's okay. He promised me that that would be fine. And so I start a gratitude adjustment process of by thinking about God, by thinking about creation and this world and all the things that are beautiful, the sunset in Costa Rica, the Oregon coast, places I've been, things of natural beauty. I think about people, I think about diversity, I think about groups like this getting together to encourage and build each other up. And I just express thanks for those things I understand and the things I don't understand. And I find that that's very important for me because it reminds me, 
I didn't create any of that. I'm not holding all this world together. And then I think about forgiveness. I think about redemption and the gift that I have experienced through the gift of Christ. And then I personalize forgiveness. I think about the forgiveness that I've received in my, my life, and I, and I actually think through the things that maybe I've been dragging around, and I need to process those and let them go. I think about forgiving others, because you cannot simultaneously be grateful and hateful at the same time. Cannot happen, will not happen, does not happen. If you are collecting grievances, the road to entitlement and bitterness is paved with grievances. You have to get over it. Do not be a grievance collector. And as you think about forgiveness, that's when you extend forgiveness to others. You walk through that process. And frankly, sometimes you gotta forgive yourself. And then the last thing I do in this gratitude adjustment process is I think about the domains, the areas of my life that I've been given some level of influence. My example would be as a husband to my high school sweetheart, as a father to my four children, as a community member, as a board member of certain organizations, as a mentor, as a friend. And I think about each of those areas that I've been given the privilege of having some level of influence and opportunity and I express thanks for the opportunity to be an influencer in those areas. And I find that whether this exercise takes me two minutes or 10 minutes, if I can get past the noise in my head, and it's a noisy place sometimes, and I can really open up my heart to that process, I will finish that shower and leave with a completely different emotional outlook. Because gratitude changes everything. And it does so because it operates like a lens through which we see everything else. Cicero famously said, gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but it is the parent of all other virtues. There is something unique about gratitude. I think it's only surpassed by one thing, and that's humility. But I think the path to humility is through gratitude. Gratitude is powerful. I came across the work of a um, social scientist. Her name's Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky, and I want to share with you a, a framework that they um, created. And it's really around what makes people happy. They call it the happiness pie. It's a model that they use to articulate the, the, the estimation of the things that really comprise human happiness. And they did thousands of hours of work in interviewing people to try to figure out, all right, what makes people happy? Now, she's, she's smart. She's on staff at UC Riverside. She got her undergrad from Harvard, her PhD from Stanford. And so they have created something they call the happiness. Watch it, I'm gonna click it once. Ha, it went twice, bad clicker. So the happiness pie. All right, here we go, 50%, this is what they found. 50% of what makes people happy is their DNA. Everybody gets a set point of basic happiness according to their DNA. Now they've discovered this in an interesting process. They interviewed identical twins who didn't grow up in the same environment. So they're identical twins, 
but they grew up in different environment. And then they tested them and ran them through this, this process of analysis. And they discovered that they essentially returned to the same basic happiness level. So they've concluded about 50% of what makes us happy is our DNA and this naturally, this natural set point. Some of us are a little bit more chipper than others. It's just the way it is. So 50% is DNA. What makes up the other 50%? You may be tempted to think circumstances. Well, not really. Turns out that circumstances only makes up about 10%. It only moves the needle about 10%. So wealth, beauty, social status, possessions, all of that stuff only moves the emotional needle, only gives you a buzz for about 10%. But it's worse than that. There's a process that's called hedonic adaptation. And let me explain what that is. Hedonic adaptation, you've seen it. So imagine a crisis, a tragedy, a natural disaster, a death, something really bad happens in somebody's life. But you'll observe over time that they just kind of seem to get over it. They get better with time. Not all the way, but, but more or less. Well, it turns out the same exact thing happens to us when something good, even amazing happens to us. We get over that too. And so we're back to filling that void, that emotional void, which is only 10% in the first place, continually because circumstances only impact about 10% of what makes us happy, according to their research. So what makes up the 40% that remains? This is the part of this analysis which gives me such hope. And that is 40% of what makes people happy is tied to the intentional thoughts and actions that we will take against the things that are important. So it's determining what's important to you. What is your calling? What are your values? What are the things that are important to you? And are you making meaningful progress in those areas? You see, the real area of opportunity for us to experience satisfaction in life comes from being very clear on what's important to us and getting clear on that process. And I want you to see the tie to gratitude. I believe starts with gratitude because gratitude will give you the clarity to assess what it is that's truly most important in your life. Of the 30 primary personality traits that social scientists have documented, gratitude has a unique correlation to satisfaction with life. And it's free. It's something we can embrace on our own. So I want to take a moment and, and share with you um, a framework that I've created for leading. And, and I'll share with you the story of how I, how I got there. So I was preparing to uh, speak at a small church. This is probably 15 years ago. And frankly, I wasn't in a very good spot. Didn't feel like I was qualified to do the speaking, but so what? It wasn't about me. I was going to do it anyhow. And I was reading a verse and it's in, in uh, John and it talks, it's Jesus saying, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. And when I read that life more abundantly part, I was struck with a challenge. 
because I wasn't experiencing an abundant life. I just wasn't. And I began to think about, all right, why not? And I had a pretty good sense because my life was a little bit off the rails at that time. But I, was, I began to say, what does it look like? What does a life that's abundant look like? And I got an answer to my question and it's been with me ever since. It's just, for me, it's that I want to reach for my potential. I want to impact my world and I want to leave a legacy. Reach for my potential, impact my world, and leave a legacy. Now that became something I honestly pictured it on my tombstone. I know that's a little bit morbid, but I did. I thought that's what I want to be about. It wasn't something somebody taught me, it was something that was, I felt like revealed to me, and I kept it with me for all of these years, and I've been wrestling with that. And I want to teach you a bit of a framework on how to apply that to leadership. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but first, I want to start with that idea of potential. I've often said there's no burden greater than the burden of potential. Somebody has described hell as that place where you get to see the person you could have been. That's not good theology, but it's an interesting quote. Um, and so I, I want to talk for a moment about potential, particularly to people that are high achievers. We, we, we can aim pretty high. Thinking about our potential is a really important process, uh, and I'll elaborate on this a bit more, but I want you to imagine your ideal, this is what I'm capable of, and, and who gives us potential anyhow? We've many, many times we've heard God-given potential, right? The potential isn't something we generate, it's actually something I believe that is, is put out in front of us. And so we've gotta believe, and if we can imagine at the end of this road, that's our potential. I believe that many of us spend a fair amount of time protecting against this ditch on the right, which is ego. We're pretty good at saying, oh, I don't want it to be about me, and you know, I want to deflect to others, and if, and if you're not that way and you're married, your wife or your husband will do that for us, right? Because we all need somebody. Look at that. Always prepared. Woo, yeah. So I think we're pretty good at managing against this ditch on the right, which is our ego. But I think many of us are stuck with this ditch on the left, which is we're afraid to step out. We're afraid to go for it. We're afraid to take risk. We are afraid to walk in our authority and the expertise that we've been given, and we're playing it safe. Both of those ditches are just as effective in destroying our potential. So reaching for our potential. Who do you trust in your life to help you think through your potential? It's a really important question. Because one of the things that we do as entrepreneurs, sometimes we go away, we lock ourselves in a room and we dream up all this stuff and we're like, we're gonna go for it. And we don't seek wise counsel with somebody that we know as a mentor. And a mentor is somebody who has wisdom they're willing to share. You're gonna wanna write this down. They have wisdom that they're willing to share. They're willing to take the time to get to know you. They're somebody who loves you and there's somebody who shares your values. When you are thinking about your potential and you are thinking about where you're gonna go, when you're thinking about the most important moments of life, you wanna have a mentor in the room with you helping you kick that stuff around. That's how you right size your expectations with life. That's how you assess your potential is you find a mentor, somebody who has wisdom they're willing to share, somebody who knows you, loves you, and shares your values. And it's 
real work. I commend you guys for being here because you are here because you wanna grow. That is the DNA of Mastermind St. Louis. You are growth-minded and you are here and you are doing this work. And many people feel a little bit guilty sometimes for focusing in on themselves and their personal growth. I, you know, I hope you're not one of those people because unless we're able to focus on me, on myself, on growing our leadership, we're not going to be able to do the other pieces that make us an effective leader. And so you will know that you are one of those that's reaching for your potential when you're growing. And if you do a good job in this area, oh my word, it is me. You tee yourself up for the next one, which is how do I impact my world? And you'll notice I back on potential for a minute. You're reaching for your potential. Because nobody really wants to say, hey, hey, Brian, you've, you've actually achieved your potential this Wednesday. You know, you're done. You're tapping out. Yes. <laughs> no, but that's it. There's no, there's no more for you. You're done. Right. We're always going to be reaching for our potential, right? Notice the words here, impact your world. It doesn't say impact the world. And there's a reason for that. Because many times as entrepreneurs, particularly those in marketing or those with a message, we're so busy trying to reach these imaginary people on the other side of the interweb somewhere that we step right over the top of the people that are right around us who actually know us. The biggest amount of influence and impact we're ever gonna have is with the people who actually know us and walk alongside of us. You can hear me, tester. Test, test, one, two, handheld. We got ways, we, we. Adversity. Did you speak on adversity at all yet today? <laughs> Challenges must be overcome. So impacting your world, we can become so focused on reaching those people out there that we overlook these people right here, right with us. This is a big issue. The people that we actually touch, the people that we work with, the people that we bump into at our kids' soccer game, that is where the real impact in our life can be felt. See, many of us, we spend a lot of time in our digital pawn shop, which is a smartphone, thinking about that next thing that's out there. And we're ignoring the people that are right around us. I mean, I'm speaking to me with that one. And so we will impact our world when we focus on these people around us. And I want to challenge you. I, I talked a little bit about what it looks like to find a mentor, right? A mentor is somebody, as we said, wisdom they're willing to share, who knows you, loves you, shares your value. But are you being that mentor that you wish you had to others? Or have you fallen into that trap of someday, someday when I have enough money, then I'll give Someday when I have enough time, then I'll mentor. Be the mentor that you wish you had. Every one of us wishes we had that sage that we could just go sit down with and bounce stuff off. Do that yourself. 
We are amongst those that are looking and growing and wanting to reach and push ourselves. But we got to realize there's people who are 10 steps behind us who look at, look at us like we hung the moon. And they would just love to spend a little bit of time with us. And so I started something I would love to see you guys pick up. I call it Free Lunch Friday. Hashtag Free Lunch Friday. Here's the rules of Free Lunch Friday in my town. I go on social media. I said, hey, I'm available to meet with anybody for an hour around my office for lunch. Here's the rules. You set it up. You call, in this case, my assistant, email my assistant. You set it up. I'll show up. I'll go to lunch. You pick up the tab. Free lunch Friday. It's my free lunch. <laughs> and there's a reason that I do it like that. Because I, there should be some skin in the game from them. A lot of people aren't, aren't willing to just ask you questions. They feel bad asking you questions. So if you let them pick up the tab, they feel like they're buying a little bit of your time. You can have some fascinating conversations. I've had conversations with community leaders, financial planners, pastors, small business owners. Free lunch Friday. I would encourage you, be the mentor you wish you had. Focus on yourself and growing your potential and then focus on these people right around you so that you can impact your world. And if you do those things well, oh, come on, baby, come on. You win the right to leave a legacy. There's something about us as humans. We want to leave a legacy. It's not about our ego and about our name on a building for most of us. It's about we want to make a difference. Part of reaching for our potential and impacting our world is we get the privilege of leaving a legacy. And I want to challenge the way you think about your legacy. Your legacy will most likely be a legacy of values. You see, when we work with our kids and we instruct them and we share our values with them, what we're trying to produce in them is character. It's our values that shape character. It's teaching them how to apply those values in the real world develops character. When we share our values inside of our businesses, inside of our companies, what are we producing? Culture. It's been famously said that culture eats strategy for lunch, right? Sharing our values at home, building character. Working through our values at work, that builds culture. So think about what your values are and think about who, the, who it is that you're sharing them with. It's never been easier to record, document, and transfer our values. It's never been easier with all the digital mediums that are out there. This is not a big lift. So look at those three words in the middle, me, these, those. As you're getting ready to have impact, as you're setting your goals, as you're thinking through life's most important decisions, that's not a bad framework to think through. Where am I focusing on building myself? Where am I serving those that are directly around me? And how am I transferring my values? You will know you are reaching for your potential if you are growing. You will know you are impacting your world if you're serving. You will know you're leaving a legacy of values if you're transferring those values. And so I wanna take the last moment and I wanna talk a bit about 
um, kind of the end of the story. I brought you to the point where I'm young and dumb and had more money than brains and thought I was an investor. And I really went through a difficult time and I came to understand that I just fundamentally wasn't very grateful. But about a decade ago, I had a, another opportunity that came to me and this time I was determined. I, I, I want to lead differently. I had gotten my butt kicked pretty severely. It had caused me to be humble. No, hold on, more humble, not humble, not even close. Um, and I wanted to, to lead differently. And so I was given an opportunity to become president of a company that uh, we partnered with a global manufacturer to make smartphones work better inside large buildings. And this company started to scale and I had an opportunity from the very beginning to build it intentionally. We sat down at Starbucks and we're like, what are our values gonna be? I mean, we were that early. And we started recruiting people and the business began to grow. And we went from nothing to a million in like three years. It was a hard slogging. But then it went 5 million, 15 million, 38 million, 60, close to 60, when it was time to sell the business. And throughout that process, you know, I had hired a coach and I said, I wanna do it differently. I wanna lead with gratitude and I wanna have it said that I was focusing on the right things. And then in, uh, Early 2016, we had a chance to sell our interest in that business. And so I found myself kind of popping out the other side saying, wow, I caught the car, right? But this time, gratitude had prepared me much differently. You see, gratitude had showed me that there's an abundance headed my way that is completely disconnected from my striving. I still work hard. I still go pretty hard when I can. But my motivation now, hear this, is a response to what I've already been given. See, gratitude is acknowledging a gift that's received. My motivation is a response to, to what's already true. I'm not chasing and striving to fill this emotional hole. I'm working from a place that says, I wanna reach for my potential, I wanna impact my world, and I wanna leave a legacy. And so I talked a bit about the gratitude adjustment process that I went through. And I already shared with you, you know, that I'm a, I'm a, a Christian, I'm a believer. And I came across an insight that really surprised me. I had been going through that gratitude adjustment process. I shared thinking about God's love, thinking about Christ's sacrifice, thinking about my own forgiveness, and then thinking about my life and all the areas. You guys remember, I shared that with you, right? I was blown away when I realized that the most famous scripture ever is laid out in that same format. I want you to think for a moment about John 3.16. God so loved the world, God's love, that he gave his only son. He willingly came as a redeemer for us. That whoever would believe in him, that's the forgiveness part, would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the domain, that's the area. Everlasting life doesn't start when we die and we're off in the yonder. Everlasting life and the promise and the offer of the gospel starts today. The abundant life that I was seeking was summed up in John 3.16. And now when I'm going through that same exact process, I've got scripture right there to keep me pointed on the most important thing. So as you plan, for the rest of the year, as you plan next year, as you go into this Thanksgiving season, I'm praying for you that you're gonna have gratitude 
front and center. And it'll be the kind of gratitude that will serve as a lens through which you see everything else. Because a gratitude adjustment, I promise you, will change everything else in your life. Thank you for being such an attentive audience. Well, there you have it. Another Mastermind Project podcast. We want to thank you for being here and investing in yourself. Uh, that's the key to growth because we know that growth doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. So thank you for investing in yourself. We hope that you found something here useful. As a matter of fact, it's our desire that you've heard something from this podcast that would make a difference if you implement it in your business. And we know that success favors the speed of implementation. Take a note, take action on something that you've learned here. It'll make a difference. We'd love to hear about it. So, and you can also join us and tell us a little bit about it at our next live event. And you can register for that at www.briankmcrae.com, www.briankmcrae.com. We've got our mastermind event schedule there and you can join us virtually uh, at our next event on the third Thursday of the month. So for this time and until next time, study things that matter, practice things that matter and teach things that matter to people who care. Appreciate you.